When I think about unplugging, I can't help but picture Kurt Cobain playing a song by the Meat Puppets on that MTV Unplugged concert. But on this episode of The Kibitz, we're going to be talking about a different kind of unplugging. Unplugging from the ubiquitous, overwhelming, all-consuming 24-hour quagmire of technology from which it seems few of us can escape. Now, despite the obvious irony inherent in a discussion of unplugging from technology on a podcast being delivered to you via a computer or a mobile phone, let's face it, we're all addicted to technology. I myself am currently experiencing some kind of pre-arthritic soreness in my thumbs and arms, no doubt caused by my incessant need to refresh my phone's email. I'm a freelance journalist, so I just never know when an important email might arrive. That means I refresh my email every 30 to 45 seconds, or even more frequently. Hang on. Wait. Checking for email. And... nothing. So, this episode is all about ways we can unplug and take a little space from our screens. One way is the National Day of Unplugging, which this year begins at sundown on March 4th. We'll talk to Dan Rollman, whose Sabbath manifesto helped lead to the creation of the National Day of Unplugging. We've also got another installment of Casher vs. Casher. Rana of Rana and Beverly gets advice on unplugging. My 95-year-old Nana tells a joke. And we have a special musical treat. Gabriel Kahane will perform an original song that I think can help us all unplug. Also... Writer Mickey Rapkin will tell us his legendary Long Island bar mitzvah story for a kid walks into a bar. So, in the immortal words of the Meat Puppets, one of my favorite bands, who needs action when you've got words? It's time to unplug with the Kibbits. Dan Rollman is a lifelong world record fanatic. He's the co-founder of RecordSetter.com, a website that allows anyone, anywhere to set a world record and espouses the philosophy that everyone can be the world's best at something. You, you started this thing called the Sabbath Manifesto, right? That's right. Uh, the Sabbath Manifesto is a project that I started that basically gives people a guide to a weekly day of rest within their lives. Uh, I just sat down with a group of others uh, at a reboot uh, retreat and asked the question of whether it's possible to still have a weekly day of rest within our increasingly plugged in lives. And created a the Sabbath Manifesto, which has 10 basic principles. The, the core one is avoid technology. A lot of the other ones are just guides to uh, celebrating a day away from from your data from your, you know from your busy life. So avoid technology, avoid commerce, uh, find silence, give back, get out get, get outdoors, outside, right? get outside. Um, drink wine, light candles. So we took a little bit of our Jewish uh, Sabbath traditions. Um, and yeah, that that was basically the, the, the birth of the project. I know the, the National Day of Unplugging sort of came out of that, right? Right. So we, so we basically built this website for the Sabbath Manifesto and just kind of said, here's 10 simple rules to unplugging. Uh, didn't really know 
how people were going to react to it. Um, and so we decided to launch it with uh, the National Day of Unplugging, which I think we've been doing for five, six, seven years. I've lost count at this point, but basically wanted to take one uh, day of the year to really bring attention to um, particularly uh, our relationship with technology and the fact that we're plugged in 247 and basically throughout a more uh, broad invitation to others to say, let's let's see how many of us can unplug for 24 hours and see what that experience is like. Certainly, I'm not the only one who's explored the question of societal relationship to technology and asked questions of whether this is an addiction or is this just what the future looks like. Um, but it has been pretty amazing to see on a national and global level the, the response that the project has gotten and the number of people who've reached out from all, all religions and many different ethnicities and backgrounds to say, hey, thank you. Like, this is a helpful guide. These are helpful tools uh, for, um, you know, getting me and my family and my community to think a little bit more about how much we're online. And so what uh, do you remember maybe the first time that you actually did, you know, a, a full day of unplugging? I felt uh, I felt scared shitless. <laughs> you know, I was living in New York at the time. I was not in a relationship. Um, I uh, yeah. So so the moment you suddenly say, all right, I'm turning off my laptop. I'm turning off my phone. Uh, here we go. Like. It, 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 you know, my, my knee jerk reaction is like, I've lost, uh, I've, I've, I've lost my safety net and I have no immediate access to my community. It, it definitely was not easy, especially the first, the first time that I did it. Yeah. Have you cheated? Uh, <laughs> I did not cheat that first uh, that first year and you know I've never wanted to treat it like we're orthodox Jews and we have to completely avoid any elements of technology during that time but it has been a time where you know people that I work with know that I'm not going to send work emails during that time um, yeah that, I, that I'm able to let myself relax a little bit more it's a real joy to be able to wake up one day a week and just you know, read a book, go for a hike, uh, and, and just allow myself to not have that same day-to-day -day stress. Friday afternoons are always, without fail, my most productive stretches. I just, uh, you know, make a long list and just run for the finish line because I know that at around 5, 6, 7 p.m., I'm going to shut off my, at least my laptop and probably shut off my cell phone. And yeah, you know, pour a big glass of wine and let out a sigh of relief. And, you know, for better or for worse, that work week is completed and it's time to just relax and, you know, we'll put on some vinyl. Like we, you know, we, we try and go a little bit old school and, uh, so vinyl is okay, but you wouldn't put on like a, a Spotify, you know, a, <laughs> well, I mean, th these, these are kind of the rules we're creating for ourselves and yeah. ways that work for us. Like there's no question that Friday night and Saturdays, we listen to more vinyl than any other day of, that's cool. of the week. And, uh, and yeah, so that's the tradition that we're making. Do you think there's something kind of sad about the fact that we need a national day of unplugging that we need to kind of d declare this manifesto because we are so, uh, tethered and, and, you know, to our, to our devices and to, to the email. Somebody once made the analogy to me that, 
you know, our use of the internet today has some parallels to tobacco in the, I guess, probably the 60s. I don't know if in the future there will be a backlash to our internet usage and there will be more of a societal push towards let's unplug on the weekends or let's, you know, develop tools to cut down our uh, digital usage. Or are we truly just entering into a brave new world where more and more of our communication is going to take place in the digital space? So you run uh, the amazing recordsetter.com, which is... It's a platform that lets you create any world record you want. It's all video-based. And so did you you do something related to unplugging on as a, as a record setter? Yeah, we did. Uh, we were in at, uh, South by Southwest in Austin a few years ago. And so we came up with a world record uh, for the most people to turn off their cell phones at once. Um, and so we gathered, yeah, I want to say over a hundred people at a bar in the middle of Austin and uh, yeah, had this big, exciting countdown, created a rule that everyone's phone had to be off for at least five minutes. Um, and you know, again, it was only five minutes, but there was a real excitement in the air and a real joy again, in the middle of a conference where everybody's checking in on Foursquare and, you know, tweeting and, you know, doing, you know, all forms of social media that there we were in this bar having drinks and being totally present. Um, awesome. Well, thanks so much for, uh, kibitzing with us. Sure. All right. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. All right. Stay unplugged. Amen. Separately, they are Rabbi David Kasher and comedian Moshe Kasher. Together on the kibitz, these two brothers will debate the Sabbath. This is Kasher versus Kasher. David Kasher, the rabbi and comedian Moshe Kasher, thanks for coming back to the kibitz. We are doing this, uh, this is kind of a simulcast between Berkeley and Los Angeles because you guys are together up there and I'm down here. Yeah. Ironically enough, this episode is about unplugging (laughs) um, and sort of tying into the Sabbath manifesto. And of course, we are completely plugged in here right now. So I guess I want to talk about in the Jewish religion and the tradition, there is this kind of built-in day of rest, which has become seemingly ever more relevant to all of our lives and, and necessary in all of our lives. But I sort of want to find out, you know, what is the origin of it? Um, so so let me chime in as like your resident rabbi and say that you called it a day of rest, and that's true. It definitely is. But there's a often a bit of a mis- misconception in that the Sabbath is really a kind of like memorial or testament to our creation story. So it's much less about uh, a day of not exerting energy and not working. And it's much more about a day of not creating things like that. We have this story that God created the world and then rested on the seventh day, but that resting uh, it's about not making anything new and sort of appreciating what, what is so, you know, chicken soup. That's yeah, you got a it. Jewish joke, folks. <laughs> you make the chicken soup, you create the new soup. Right. So, what so, about sex? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question, actually. <laughs> I've never, I've never gotten question. a fair answer to that, but I think it's just it's just good to know that there is a huge exception made for sex. Oh, how come you can bone on um, on Shabbat? Right. It's even, it's, they else. say it's a mitzvah, right? I was told recently. To after a yeah, Sabbath, I don't know if it's Shabbat technically dinner. a commandment to have sex on Shabbat, but it's certainly well-established practice. In fact, it supersedes. A lot of people don't know this, but in, if you get into 
some of the more obscure Talmudic, uh, the Talmud Bavli, it says that it's a mitzvah to have sex on Shabbat no matter who it's with. Um, I don't matter. Rabbi, <laughs> nope, not Rabbi. Not if, you, if you can give me a moment, Rabbi. No matter who it's with. So <sighs> if you're married and your wife is out of town, I don't tell I don't oh, Rabbi. Please, the Talmud specifically says you find find do what you can. Flip I, I open Tinder. I don't think I, I never right. read that that part. It, As the Lord saith, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. That's the Talmud again. Right? I'm a direct Rabbi quote. here. I did. I, 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 all right, fine. We'll just leave it there. But but what I what I, what that means the the Sabbath being about not creating is that it's 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 not so much like you could you could run around your house, you could lift things up, you could exert yourself, you could have a non-restful Sabbath, but you just you should be appreciating what is and not creating something new. So like the question then is how to do that and the rabbis came up with these categories of, you know, what are creative acts? They came up with 39 categories. And one of those categories was making a fire, like creating a fire. So you can't kindle a new fire on, on Shabbat. And the, uh, I'm getting to the unplugging thing that when electricity came about, there was some question like, is, is this kind of like making a fire or not? And there was actually a debate. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a hundred percent clear that electricity turning on lights, you know, not plugging, not using electricity, uh, should be forbidden. But in the end, the, the consensus was, yeah, this is similar enough to, uh, to creating a fire that, um, that it is forbidden. By the way, this to me is just like the trajectory of Jewish law uh, <laughs> construction. It's like there was a moment where they could have gone one way and everything could have been really easy and convenient. And in the end, the rabbis decided, no, we can't do that as well. I mean, that's kind of true. There's something to that. But it's also it, it's hard to argue with since it's ended up producing in some ways the most the Shabbat practice, which is the most relevant and, and kind of meaningful in today's contemporary landscape. Like you could quibble with the, the reasoning behind it, but nowadays when we're so plugged in and so sort of our whole world is kind of, is communication and electricity and, and technology, there's something remarkably relevant about the fact that Shabbat law has, has, has created this kind of re- refuge from it all. And it only took 6,000 years for it to become relevant. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it takes good. time. No, but I do have some sincere thoughts on the power of Shabbat in keeping the Jewish people a cohesive unit. The fact that Jews had sort of built into their, their sort of life infrastructure a small vacation once a week is probably the thing that kept us going throughout the horrifying, horrifying trajectory of Jewish history. So I think there is something powerful in it. And now we're finally seeing the power again. Get that power. Speaking of which, you can't use power or utilize power on Shabbat. I I just want to clarify that it's not that some people think when, when you say you can't use electricity on Shabbat, it's not like you can't sit in a room that is illuminated with electricity it's that you can't turn an on and off the lights because that's considered either like creating something new or extinguishing something what about like driving isn't really creating but i i dated this this woman who you know would not drive on on shabbat and i basically to me i just thought it was just her way to just get me to pick her up and drive her everywhere. Wait, she would let you drive her? Yeah, I could drive her. Oh, She's like, yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to pick me up because I can't drive. I mean, cheating. yeah, that's cheating. Straight up. <laughs> I mean, Jews are right? expert cheater. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say that. Jews legal, are ex- le- legal loopholes, I would call it. No, we and that wasn't even. Yeah, that's not even a legal <laughs> loophole. Like that's just not you. Sh- you're not really supposed to do that. But but here's the thing about driving is that you know 
there is a combustion in, that takes place when you start the ignition and that creates a fire and that's prohibited by Shabbat laws. There are also laws about um, how far you can travel on Shabbat. So when I say there are these 39 categories of forbidden activity, it's like the, this creates this whole kind of web or maze that then you start talking about, well, can I do this? And suddenly you're like doing all these calculations. Well, does it fit into this category or this category or this category? I'd like to get back to the idea that Jews are expert cheaters and yes. that we weave a web in which we catch Gentiles in order to collect more gold. Your I, I, thoughts, Rabbi? <laughs> the, the, it's the pill pool sort of minutia of Shabbat that I think that less religious Jews can sometimes look at or non-Jews can sometimes look at the Orthodox interaction with Shabbat and just go, how is it possible? I would say, in, in particular, the ripping of toilet paper before Shabbat is the thing that makes everybody's collective eyes roll and say, how is this spirituality? I didn't even realize that was a thing. Yeah, and I mean, what about the whole Sabbath goy thing? I mean, uh, that's like... Okay, so that's... that's um that's that's an example of a legal loophole, but it's not even really a kosher one. There, so there's some idea that, you know, you can ask someone who's non-Jewish, because, you know, we don't have this idea that, that people who aren't Jewish should keep the Sabbath. So you yeah. can just ask them what to do, do it care? for you. But it's actually very explicitly prohibited in Jewish law to have, not just to, to, to for you to do a forbidden labor, but to have someone else do it for you. There are ways of getting around it in cases of emergency. Like, you know, you could be like, oh, wow, this... Room is mighty cold. I wish someone was around to turn on the heater. Hmm, I wonder who could do, you know, but that's right. like, that's like really pushing it. What's the punishment if you disobey the laws of the Sabbath? Well, the I, story in the Bible is pretty good. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple of guys who are picking up sticks. Do you not know this story? I don't know this one. A couple of dudes so picking up, up sticks on Shabbat. Just By the way, day. picking up sticks, not definitely a no-no. Okay. Picking, okay. You can pick up your girlfriend, but you can't pick up sticks. Right, okay. Right. The band Sticks. That's know, right. Do not listen to Sticks. <laughs> Actually, you're not allowed to listen to Sticks or any other band. <laughs> you just but ever. you are weirdly allowed to listen to Scorpions. Um, oh, okay. And this is picking up sticks. And God sees them, and he opens up a hole in the earth and swallows them up and kills them. Okay, so that's mixing stories a little bit. There's one dude, he does, <laughs> he does pick up sticks, and he is punished. He is, in fact, uh, killed, <laughs> but not with the uh, earth swallowing. But the, 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 My the, bad. The, the point is, is that the violation of the Sabbath, it's one of the central practices of Jewish religion, and in you know the days of biblical law, it actually incurred the death penalty. There is no death penalty anymore in Judaism. We don't have like a, a legal system that could meet that out. But it's actually the case that this particular Shabbat practice of not using electricity, it, it has a kind of appeal to people who are even very much outside of the, the, the minutia of the Jewish legal system. Right. So we've finally gotten to the place where we have such fatigue of our own relationship to technology that a 6,000-year-old tradition is become, has become fresh-feeling and relevant and even desperately needed. And, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that sarcastically. I think, like, I could see a future where Shabbat really starts to catch on among Jews and non-Jews because I think everybody's feeling this like, wow, what an amazingly novel idea to take a full 24 hours 
break from all of the work that we do, which is this amazingly novel idea is the first idea basically in, in Judaism. Yeah. And I'll just say, I mean, as someone who does keep a pretty traditional Shabbat, I'll just say that, you know, it's an incredible experience. And, and, and during the rest of the week, just like everybody else, I'm like checking my phone every second and just like totally maddened by my relationship to technology. And I really have this, this 24 hour, 25 hour refuge from that. And, you know, I'm not one to push Jewish law onto people, but this is one practice that I would, I would genuinely recommend everybody just give a try. Like, I I think it's actually worth try one day without your phone. It's like, it's actually an incredibly, um, calming and relieving experience. And, And I'm not also one to push Jewish law on people, but I will say this, if you, do pick up sticks on Saturday. I will. I will, will fucking kill you. kill you. I will kill you. I'm straight up. That, you're dead. Yeah, you, yeah. To me, you're dead. You will hunt, that, hunt that, us that down. much seems obvious. Um, awesome. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for stopping by the kibitz. This was great. Thank you. My nana did not know any jokes about unplugging, but here is one of my favorite of her jokes, which I hope my Christian friends will take as a joke. Do you remember that? Can you tell that whole joke? Well. Uh, this Jewish family had this real ugly daughter, and she was like 45 years old and not married. At the time, people were getting married when they were 18, you know. So this guy, you know, decided to marry her, their daughter because Mr. Feldman was rich. He owned a company that made nails, and so... He said, we're so happy to have you in the family, Herbert, that I'm making you in charge of advertising. So Mr. Feldman is driving down the freeway one day, and he sees this big billboard, and it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. And the caption was, they used Feldman's nails. (laughs) And so... Mr. Feldman is hysterical. He said, the whole world will be against me. Don't, what is wrong with you? So he said, oh, don't worry, uh, Dad. He said, I'll fix it. Don't worry, I'll fix it right away. And so the next day, Mr. Feldman is right, driving down the um, freeway, and he sees the picture again, and Jesus is lying on the ground and it's, they should have used Feldman's <laughs> And now, Rana of the comedic duo Rana and Beverly will ask for advice from a fan about unplugging from her other half. <laughs> it's Christy! Yay! <laughs> Christy, you're calling us from Boston. Or oh, we're calling you. Yeah. You guys are calling me from Boston. I live in West Roxbury. Oh, my wow. goodness. Isn't West that Roxbury. wonderful? How are you, dear? I'm doing really well. I'm super excited to hear from you. <laughs> Hi. What? <laughs> what can I help you guys with? I was wondering if you had any I advice do. Questions. I have some I have an advice. Now, today we've been talking about or Dan has been talking about the Sabbath. 
Now, what this means, okay. if, you don't, if you don't know, what you're supposed to do in uh, – oh, do you want to explain to Dan the whole concept of unplugging? Or, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it's uh, when the sun goes down Friday night, you're supposed to, I guess, get, get away from your digital devices, don't use the phone, don't use your right. computer, right. Uh, have dinner with your kids or your family and, uh, you know, kind of just focus on the now. Be more connected to the people that mm-hmm. you love and the yeah. things that you're doing that you and how you be conscious of how you spend your time. And that 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 is time yeah, that you take it. out of which the originally what Sabbath was for was to take a day out of the week after the work week and to focus on family and focus on on re-energizing for the new for the next week. And so there's right. been a big movement called Unplugging, the National Day of Unplugging. And what, just as Dan explained, oh, that there's all these people that are now yes. saying, wouldn't it be wonderful to just put your device away? We're all so connected now. What if we put our device away for 24 hours? It's a wonderful idea. And I'm a huge fan of it. But. But it's not easy. I have a very good friend by the name of Beverly Ginsburg, <laughs> who needs to mm-hmm. be connected mm-hmm. at all times. And she gets very upset with me when I unplug. And she is wondering, she wants to know, Rana, can't we do something where you give me a special ring? So if it's a text just from me, you'll know it's just me. And then you'll answer it like a bat phone. (laughs) And I'm trying to explain to her that I am trying, this is something I'm trying to do for me. It's a more meditative experience. It's only 24 hours, but she's having a hard time with the boundary. And I can't decide because I would hate for anything to happen to her and for me to not be available to her. But at the same time, I'm trying to figure out how I can take care of myself. Yeah, I got you. I think it's so important, Rana, that you take care of yourself. Um, I'm usually very good to myself. I can say that we can be really overwhelming and we are maybe a little dramatic, which I think you know, kind of makes us a lot of fun to be around. However, I think it's really important that we learn to um, honor our friend's boundaries. And so maybe thinking of the two of you, maybe if you were to go away to like Kerpalu, but a nicer place so that you're not in dorm rooms and you're in a meditative place with Beverly, maybe then you could unplug. Kerpalu's in the, in the Berkshires. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 It's a silent yoga retreat. That sounds, yeah. I I can't really imagine Beverly there at all. It's a type of yoga too. <laughs> but Canyon Ranch so is what just if you down the street. With Beverly, with you, <laughs> you, I want you to know in your answer, like, you went from telling me that it would be healthy to draw a boundary to telling me that the best thing I could do for myself is to move her into my house. Essentially, that the only way because you pretty much know she'll bang your walls down and find you. <laughs> but you, your answer was your answer was get. Physically closer, not take a break. That yeah. was your answer. That is very funny right. to me. Well, yeah. it's yeah. one solution. You it's know, one the two solution. like silent things together. Maybe yeah. tape her mouth while she's with you. <laughs> it, tr- it does solve yeah. the problem of the texting, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it, of that, Dan? Yeah, tell that's... her to unplug and just follow you, and she's not allowed to talk. Hey, that's probably happened to me a couple times. It's not bad. What would you do if your friend did the same to you? If they said, I can't talk to you for 24 hours. I think I'm actually the kind of person that 
I like to have my own quiet time mm. and I could unplug, but then I get lost in that world and then I'd never want to plug in again. Oh, well, then you'd, you would be like, good at unplugging. Me or yeah, I think yeah. unplugging is perfect you, you for you. You should get into unplugging yeah. then. It sounds like it's perfect for Every you. Every Friday after work. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you for the advice. You were yeah. so helpful. This has been great. Thank move you Beverly so much, in. Rana. Yeah, move her I in. If you want you to get Beverly get to further away, get a closer. Day one day. That was the advice. <laughs> Bring your, your friends close and yeah. your, your <laughs> yeah. Beverly's closer. Yeah. Keep your Beverly's close. My best friend lives in Illinois, so I've learned to be an unplugger. Okay, well, tell her we, what's her name. He can do it, too. Oh, her name's Jennifer. All right, well, we'll say hello to Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, thanks so much. And, Rana, you are awesome. And, Beth, you can do it without Rana. Let her have a little time. <laughs> oh, we'll try <laughs> that. Shabbat. We'll pass that along. We'll give it a shot and see if it works. <laughs> Take good care, you guys. Thank you for calling. Okay, kiss, kiss. You. You're wonderful. Thank Take you, dear. Care. Kiss, kiss. Bye. Everybody needs a little time away. I heard a say from each other. Gabriel Kahane is an incredible musician who brilliantly straddles the worlds of orchestral and pop music. His major label debut, The Ambassador, was hailed by Rolling Stone as one of the year's very best albums. He just released his fifth LP, The Fiction Issue, an album comprising three chamber works performed by string quartet Brooklyn Rider. He stopped by the Kibitz headquarters in Los Angeles to play one of my favorite songs of his called, appropriately, L.A. We also recorded a great interview, and I'll be running that in a later episode. Gabe doesn't play this song unplugged, a la Nirvana, but I find it really meditative. It's a great song to help you unplug. So now's the time for you to pour that glass of wine or whatever you use to unplug and sit back, relax, and listen. Here's Gabe. This is actually an older song. This is uh, appropriately enough called L.A. since we're sitting in, uh, on a hill in Los Angeles. Um, this is from a record called Where Are the Arms? And this is a song I wrote in response to Joan Didion's novel, Play It As It Lays. Are the words actually from Joan Didion or was it just sort They're of inspired? Not. Was, after I was going through it. this phase where I was interested in exploring narrative economy, which I'm still trying to explore, and also in my daily life. Yeah, all, all, all writers yeah. should aspire to. Um, and, and so it's, a, I guess, in a weird way, it's sort of a, a very, very compressed telling of the novel in a verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus song huh so right. here it is awesome One, two, three, four. the color wheel and the western sky the reflection of a stranger in a strange fluorescent light Water on the bathroom floor Mattress for an island in a plastic sheet for sure L.A. 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 The selfish city wins again Drives cause there's a lot of road Motion makes a comma Then to take it slow 
Man puts on the yellow gloves She concentrates discreetly on the TV Up above L.A. L.A. Selfish city wins again And the windscreen is cinema tonight The shot of what she left behind She sees herself in stereo is a senior editor at GQ magazine. He's the author of Pitch Perfect, The Quest for Collegiate Acapella Glory. Yes, the book upon which the hit movies were based. And most recently, Theater Geek, the real-life drama of a summer at Stage Door Manor, the famous performing arts camp. This is his bar mitzvah story for A Kid Walks Into a Bar. So I like to think I had the most Long Island of all bar mitzvahs. My theme was TV, and, you know, there was like, I don't know, the Beverly Hills 90210 table and all sorts of embarrassing things. And my T-shirt said, live from New York, it's Mickey's Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was mortifying. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin to tell you about it. Um, I was fat, obviously. Um, my dad, you know, got up on the chair for the Hora and did the Arsenio Hall, like whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah. It was horrible. My dad had also written these poems for me, you know, like you get up there for the, uh, the candle lighting and you read these like sort of mortifying poems as you call up, you know, grandma to light candle number one or whatever. And I hadn't read them beforehand because all I cared about was like what I was going to wear and like how many stations there would be like for the cocktail hour and stuff. So I get up there with these cards, these note cards that my dad has, of course, like typed out on a typewriter. And there's like a million Yiddish jokes and things that I don't know anything about. Like there was a whole thing about like the mishpucha, like welcoming the mishpucha, which uh-huh. means family, but I didn't know what that was. Right. And I certainly didn't know how to say it. So here I am like in my bar mitzvah standing up in front of like, I don't know, 200 people mispronouncing these words. And my dad is in the corner sort of like so angry. <laughs> like I didn't play any sports obviously. Uh-huh. And, but like I imagine like that's how he would look like by the sidelines if I was like, 
I don't know, made some mistake on a court or a field. And he was just pissed, totally pissed. But when I look back on it, I like, I, I, I sort of wish I had, I mean, not sort of, I wish I had read the poems and cared about talking to my family who had like come in from Baltimore to Long Island for this and, you know, uh, taking part in the bar mitzvah rather than like worrying about looking cool because obviously there was nothing cool about it. And like the real cool thing would have been if I actually like sat down and talked to my family and got to know them. I feel like I remember that you had some, they, they printed up giant foam fingers, like, you know, like from a Knicks yeah, game. Kind so of basically, thing. you know, they had those like those foam fingers like you would have at sporting events, okay? yeah. like number one or whatever. And this kid, Ryan, tore all the fingers off except the middle one. <laughs> and he's like, he's like waving it at the, the videographer as like we're doing, I don't know, like the limbo. Also, actually, really, that was like an amazing part of the video. But really, the best part of the video is this girl that I went to sleepaway camp with. You know, this was like the era of like really big hairsprayed hair. And she's this girl I went to camp with is walking by like a fake tree in the lobby of the bar mitzvah. And a giant curl of her like teased hair gets caught in the plant and her head jerks back like she's like going to get decapitated. I, I need to have this video converted to, uh, from VHS to DVD. We all need to see yeah, this. Yeah, it can't be lost to the ages. Did you ever talk to your dad about the, the poems that he wrote and like that you... That, uh... Yeah, it's so funny. I've never really talked to him about it. I'm actually going to see him uh, tomorrow. I'm flying down to see him. Obviously, they retired to Florida. Of course. Um, and I'm going to... I'm sure the moment will be anticlimactic and he will... I don't know. He'll probably remember having written them, but won't remember anything else about that day. Well, you said you imagined uh, you imagined sequin dancer dancers and a ten piece band. No, it sort of happened exactly how I imagined it. You know, I have a brother who's four years older, and I remembered like every minute of his bar mitzvah and how amazing it was, and like the Capizio shoes I wore. <laughs> so I was really looking forward to my own. I had those shoes. Day, yeah. um, where, you know, my own, I would be the center of attention at my own bar mitzvah. And uh-huh. I would, like, finally win a Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> which is, like, the sort of rite of passage of all bar mitzvah kids. What is, what is, at Coke and Pepsi? Was that a... Oh, you don't, oh my God, you don't want Coke and Pepsi? You host the kibitz? Yeah, it was, like, one of those, like, embarrassing games where you, like, run from one side of the dance floor to the other. I've never heard of this. Is this this is is this a Long Island thing or is it a Jew thing? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm like tempted to go to YouTube. There's got to be like some like evidence of Coke and Pepsi. So and so so it's literally you just run back and forth from one side of the dance floor to the other. What's the object? How do you win? Yeah, there's like two, there's like two. You know, you like play in pairs if I remember correctly. So you're like you have a partner and you're like on one side, one's on the other side of the dance floor, and then like one side's Coke, the other side's Pepsi, and they're like. The DJ is like, Coke! And then you run from the other side, and like, if you're last, you get out. <laughs> I've never heard I of this. I think <laughs> I feel like there was like two bar mitzvah games. It was Coke and Pepsi and Huggy Bear. What's Huggy Bear? I don't remember any of the rules of Huggy Bear. Okay. That sounds like, like it's basically, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, puberty, you know, introduction to puberty. Like, hug, Huggy. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a disaster. <laughs> Awesome. Um, well, I loved, like I said, I loved your the the story in the Friday app, and uh, I lo- you had a, a brilliant story in L recently about uh, the, yes, the craziest cocaine fueled uh, photo shoot in the mountains of Chile. Where was it? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was sort of this photo shoot for the uh, Neiman Marcus catalog in 1977 where these models got, you know, stranded at the top of a hotel for two weeks during a blizzard. And it's so great. Did coke. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Anything else exciting coming up? Or yeah, that's really, uh, big, uh, that's big excitement in my world, I think. Okay. Dad cool. and, and my conversation with my dad. <laughs> that you're about to have. Well, uh, please report back to us. Let us know. Let us know how it went. Exactly. Yeah. Dan, I so appreciate this. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. So I looked up the Coke and Pepsi game. I had no idea this was such a thing. Did you play this at your bar or bat mitzvah? Tweet or email me and let me know. I just, I had never heard of this. Clearly, the Jews in Denver lived in a cultural wasteland. I guess that's no surprise. But I did, like Mickey Rapkin, wear Capizio jazz shoes. I was pretty cool. Each Friday, 30 minutes before sunset, the Friday app for the iPhone reminds you that it's time to slow down. Read short stories, including one by yours truly, and questions to light a few sparks and stoke some conversations. Sunset your phone into a blissful twilight to help you unplug. The Friday app is a collaboration between Reboot and world-class global design company IDO, and it's come to life thanks to the generous support of the Righteous Persons Foundation. You can download Friday for free at the iTunes Store by searching for Reboot Friday or by visiting thefridayapp.com. Check it out. It's very cool. All right, that is it for episode four of The Kibitz. Hey, before you unplug completely, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. I'd like to thank our guests, David and Moshe Kasher, my Nana, Gabe Kahane, Ronna Glickman, and Mickey Rapkin. Moshe Kasher will be appearing live March 12th in Austin at the South by Southwest Festival and April 2nd in Athens, Georgia. Gabe Kahane is about to tour Europe, starting in Kokkola, Finland. For all my Finnish friends, yes, I have a lot of Finnish friends. Go check them out. Find out dates on gabrielkahane.com. Also, check out Rana and Beverly's podcast on earwolf.com. And please, download the Friday app from the iTunes store to help you unplug. This episode was produced by me, Dan Crane, with Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, and David Jargowski, with additional engineering by Brett Morris. Special thanks to Amelia Klein, Robin Kramer, Earwolf, and, of course, Reboot. Our main theme music is courtesy of Nunon Plus. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at KibitzPod, and email us your comments at kibitzpod at gmail.com. As my great-grandmother used to say, that's the way it is in a small town with a large population. Happy National Day of Unplugging from the Kibitz.